Dear Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your goodness and your blessings upon our lives. We just ask now that um, we actually don't want to ask now anything. We just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for working in our lives. Thank you for using us in your service. Thank you for uh, blessing us and, and protecting us. And Lord, we just thank you that we can serve you in expectation of your goodness and blessing each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chapter 7. I mean, we often will say, hey, I'm... Uh, no, I've done something wrong in my life. I want to make things right. And, and uh, you know, the word for turning around is, the biblical word is repentance. I mean, that's just simply what it means. It means a change in heart, a change in attitude, a change in my thinking, a change in my soul that results in a different walk physically. Uh, if we never get to the different walk physically, then the, then the problem is we've got to go back and investigate, did we really repent? And uh, this, this verse here, oftentimes when talking to people about salvation, I, I like to come here because, you know, sometimes we'll, uh, someone will go through an emotional uh, experience, they'll really mess up or something in life and and they'll say, I just, I've got to get saved. I've got to turn my life over to Christ. And, and really what they mean is, I really messed up and I want to feel better about it. Now, that's not repentance. Uh, repentance is more than that. And then we're just going to read the verses. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. And uh, let's just start reading in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, For godly sorrow... Worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of this world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, Yea, what revenge! In all these things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for his cause that had done this wrong, for nor his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Now, most of us believe that this passage is dealing with a problem that was in the Corinthian church, dealt with in 1 Corinthians, where Paul said, this kind of immorality is not even allowed among the Gentiles. You need to straighten this problem out in the church. The Corinthian church had been lax. They had been careless in dealing with sin in the midst of their church. And Paul had written them, and he said, I wrote you, and you can read in the previous verses there that, that uh, he had made them sorry and that there were things that were done. And he said, you know, when I first heard this, he said, maybe I was just a little too hard. But then I stopped and really thought about this thing, realized that you guys were doing the right thing. You know, sometimes you got to get shook up a little bit to do what's right. And... So, he comes here in verse 10 where we're going to really pick this up. He says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. 
You know, hell's going to be full of people who are saying, I'm sorry. I mean, just chalk full. I mean, if we could go through the, the, uh, the penitentiary there on Rikers Island and, and talk to the inmates honestly, and I think a vast majority of them would say, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry that things turned out the way they did. Some of them are just sorry that they got caught, and some of them are sorry that someone else did it and they got blamed for it. I think that's probably the most prevalent. <coughs> Excuse me. But I think we'd find, <coughs> excuse me, that there'd be some people out there that are really, genuinely, truly sorry for what they did. But does that change anything? I mean, <coughs> oftentimes I'm disciplining my children, they'll say, But Dad, I'm sorry. I said, Yeah, you were born that way, right? Um, does your being sorry make your brother, sister hurt any less because you lost your temper? And oftentimes I try to include this to help them understand that, you know, if you had done these things on purpose, wouldn't we be dealing with a far greater situation? I mean, Brother Heckle, if somebody comes into your office and they're repentant, they're they're sorry for what they did, they're probably going to get a lot farther than the guy said, hey, that's your problem, not mine. Uh, I, I don't think they would continue very long as a student at Heartland Baptist Bible College for obvious reasons. But do we have sorrow or do we have godly sorrow? Now, what makes the difference between sorrow and godly sorrow? That's the, that's the point of this first verse. If we, if we don't get past just being sorry for what went on, for just feeling bad about it, we're never going to get to repentance because repentance is not being sorry. Repentance is the result of the work of godly sorrow in our lives. Amen? Now, how do we get godly sorrow? Well, the word godly here is being used as an adjective. It's saying it's the kind of sorrow that God would have. Now, why does God hate sin so much? Because it kills us. It brings death. Because He had to send Jesus to the cross to pay for it. Read Isaiah chapter 53. It said it pleased him to bruise him. It, God was pleased in bruising and punishing Jesus for our sins. Why? Because he knew that if he tried to exact the punishment upon us that our sins would deserve, then not a one of us would ever stand in his presence. And that was not his plan. You see, godly sorrow is looking at our sin the way God looks at our sin. The best way I know how to describe this, especially when we're dealing with the issue of a person's salvation, is oftentimes people try to take care of their sins. You say, hey, I'll go to the church, I'll tell the priest, he'll do the little hootie-do and, and uh, wave the magic wand, and I'll say so many Hail Marys and put money in the offering plate and my sins are gone. 
Well, let me ask you a question. How many of you that did those things really believed that it did any good? You know, I, I don't know how many people I've met passing out tracts on the street. and They'll say, well, I'm Catholic. I said, but do you really believe in your faith? Do you really think you're going to hell? Oh, I don't believe in the Pope, and I don't believe in confessional. And I say, go tell your priest that. See what he thinks. Because he, he thinks they're rather important. I promise you that. But godly sorrow is looking at my sin the way God looks at it. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to make me get it together, my sin, not myself, in all of its horror and its offense, and bring it to God. I'm going to stop trying to take care of my own sin. I'm going to stop trying to make right that which I've done wrong. I am just going to come with it uncovered, undeodorized, unsanctified, unwhatever. I mean, sin is sin. If you want to know how bad sin is, study the story of Jesus suffering on the cross. That's how bad sin is. And we bring it to Him just as it is and just as we are. And we say, you're the only one that can deal with this. That's how you got saved now, wasn't it? So after we're saved, why is the first thing that we do when we do something wrong, try to sweep it under the carpet? It didn't work before you got saved. It's not going to work after you're saved. I've had people say, well, I messed up. I can't come back to church. Where in the world are you going to get it right if you don't come here? I mean, this is the place where you go to get it fixed. That's what godly sorrow does. It works repentance. It works a change in direction in my life. It actually takes my feet and makes them go a different direction than I wanted them to go. You know, bringing your sin before a holy God is a terribly humbling thing. Which is one thing that all of us could use a little bit more of. Amen? Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. I never, I've never been sorry that I got saved. I've never been sorry that I brought my sins to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And I promise you this, I'll never be sorry that I did. But now Paul goes on, he says, For behold this selfsame thing. He said, I want to talk about this work of godly sorrow to repentance in your church. It says, For that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. He said, You took this problem that was in your church and you applied the same rules of repentance that you did when you got saved and it made some things happen in your church. The first thing it made happen was carefulness. Now, why was that first on the list? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they were uncareful, if that's a word. Uh, they were purposefully lax. Uh, they were... 
You know, I don't think I'm really seeing what I think I'm seeing. You know, it's kind of out of my jurisdiction. I'm just not going to worry about it. You know, isn't that the easiest thing in the world to do? When we see a fellow believer do things that they ought not do. The hardest thing in the world is to go up to someone and face them and say, should you really be doing this as a member of the church of Jesus Christ? Should you really be participating? Should you really be behaving in this way? I'll tell you what, that's a hard thing to do. But the Bible says the first thing that this godly sorrow, this repentant attitude worked in the Corinthian church was all of a sudden they became careful. Stephen doesn't like when I do this, but his job is to clean the building. You know what? I like him to be careful. I like him to be meticulously careful when he cleans. But don't always get it done. But we're trying. And oftentimes I'll come by and I'll uh, stick my finger in some hidden place and bring down a little bit of dust and, and I'll walk over to him and smear it on his shirt and say, you know, that's not where this belongs now, is it? I said, we need to get that taken care of. We need to be careful. You know, you look it up in the dictionary and the word carefulness says full of mourning. Um, does that sound anything like another progression in Matthew chapter 5? Blessed are they that mourn. Carefulness, full of care. But it leads to the next thing. It says, and, and by the way, I want you to look at this, and this is one of the things I just love about our Bible that we have in English. In many languages, this thing is kind of ignored and, and not really translated as careful as it was. You see all those little uh, yays in there? It says, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yay! What clearing! Yay! What indignation! And you'll see that, um, that uh, the what is really in italics, meaning there's no exact word in the Greek, but trying to convey the idea, the emphasis, we had to put that in there. Uh, when oftentimes we'll say, yes, that's what I want you to do, right? Well, that's what Paul's saying here every time. He said, yes. He's putting a, a super emphasis on this. What clearing of yourselves. Now, this idea of clearing comes in many ideas. People will clear the land. They'll take the trees and the rocks and the bushes and everything doesn't belong there and clear that land so they can grow something on it. Well, the church had some clearing to do, some spring cleaning. Uh, and they were very careful. Ladies, have you... Um, well, maybe not ladies, but um, my wife found this poem. And it was in one of their... I think it was the McGuffey Readers. Uh, a man had written it on the insanity of women in the springtime. 
And they just spend all winter working themselves up into this frenzy. And now it's spring cleaning. And everything has to be taken out of the house. And everything has to be washed. And everything has to be cleaned. That's a good thing to do, is it not? And he's saying, now this is what, this is what repentance did. How many of you, since you got saved, all of a sudden became more careful about some things in your life? As a Christian, sometimes we just got to stop and say, whoa, wait a minute. I've gotten a little careless. Let's, let's get back to being careful again. Let's clear ourselves. Let's get in that process of going into the little spaces and cleaning off the top of the, uh, of the door jams and places where dirt and things can hide. And let's get it done. And then the next one is, yea, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Now we read that and we're saying, well, who are they indignant at? Well, most people say, oh, they were indignant at that poor, miserable slob that did all those rotten things. I don't think so. You know, the Bible never commands us to go around punishing people for their sins. Now, they told them that they were supposed to remove this man from the fellowship of the church because he could not participate in good faith in the church at the same time, he was participating in the sinful life that he had chosen for himself. And therefore, he had to be removed. But you know what that indignation is? How many of you have ever gone on one of them cleaning sprees? And you reach into a drawer that you haven't been in for a long time. Or maybe you find the potato salad that time has forgotten in the back of the refrigerator. And you just wonder what's in here and you open it up. Oh! I can't believe I left this in there that long. That's what it's talking about. It's not indignation at the man that did the wrong as much as it is this is a whole lot worse than I ever thought. And I'm the one that's at fault. Because I didn't pay attention to what needed to be. That's the indignation that he's speaking of. It's filled with, oh, 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 I wish I hadn't opened that lid. Let's just throw the whole container away. Because I wasn't paying attention. That's what the Corinthians were doing. You know, the church is supposed to be the body of Christ. And I dare say that there is no church in history that's ever done justice to that phrase, that has ever lived up to that phrase. Uh, we're not going to live up to that phrase until we are truly connected to Christ as one church in heaven. And I look forward to that day. But until then... We have individual, local churches responsible to Christ. And we're going to mess up. But that indignation, it's treating 
the act or of counting or treating a person or thing as unworthy of regard or notice, disdain, contempt, contemptuous behavior or treatment. I'll tell you what, you take that potato salad with all that green and purple and orange stuff growing on it, and you're not going to want to get one of them spray cans shellac and paint it over and put it in the windowsill like they do at the restaurants, now are you? I mean, you want to get rid of that thing. You treat it contemptuously. It's disgusting. It makes you sick. And maybe something that ought to be said, I've, I've met an awful lot of people over the years that they'll talk awful harshly about sin. Oh, that's just terrible. That's just, that is the most disgusting thing in the world. And then you find out they were out there doing exactly the same thing that they hate. You know why? They didn't start with carefulness. You see, there's a progression here that has to be worked through. I mean, there, there's a lot of... And, and temptation is a horrible thing. Oh, I hate it. I just hate it. Oh, oh, that's off. That's the way we behave so many times, is it not? Well, if I start being careful, it's, I'm not going to be looking through my fingers at it. If I'll allow God to begin this process of clearing myself, you don't clear a field and leave one great big tree right in the middle of it. You know why? Because those roots from that tree are going to go the whole way through your field. And every year you try to plow it up, you're going to bust your plow, you're going to wreck your tractor, you're going to do it. You've got to get rid of the whole thing. You've got to clear You've got to clear yourself. You've got to clear the field. And once we do that, then God will give us true and honest disgust, indignation. Not at the horrible things everybody else is doing. But at the fact that we didn't catch that thing before it got so bad. Because what's the next one? Fear. Yay. What? Fear. Who are they afraid of? The Apostle Paul? Oh, read these letters. The Corinthian church was not near as afraid of the Apostle Paul as they should have been. Amen? Would you? I mean, they did not give him the respect in the things that they should have uh, given him. In fact, he had to write them and remind them that, listen, you wouldn't be saved if it weren't for me. Uh, you guys need to understand a few things. You can, you can pick... Uh, your own preachers, but you can't pick the guy that started your church. You're stuck with me. They weren't afraid of Paul. Not near as much as they should have been. But when they began this process, what is the beginning of wisdom? I mean, we just finished 40 lessons on the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is it not? You can try to be afraid of God. In fact, the Quakers developed their entire religious process by sitting there 
and developing in their mind a fear of God that made them literally shake in their seats. Now, that's not in and of itself a bad thing, but just because you're shaking in your seat doesn't mean your feet are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if your feet aren't doing anything, then it's not biblical repentance. It's just a ginned-up emotional game we're playing. And so, we've got this carefulness, then the clearing, then the indignation. The fear of the Lord is to what? Hate evil. You can't do that without laying a foundation of God's work in your life. If you do, it's just, again, a practice in sophistry. It's fake. It's not going to last. It's not going to help you. Then we get the vehement desire. The intense, severe, the rising to a high degree of desiring. What were they desiring? Someone said they were desiring the Apostle Paul to come. Uh, no, no. that's You don't get saved by believing on the Apostle Paul. Let's go back to that first thing. Now that they were careful, they were really going to do it right. How many of you have actually been taught the art of cleaning, like office cleaning and things like that? I mean, you walk through and you can see things that are dirty and you clean it up and you do things. But if you've ever been trained by a professional, I'll tell you what, you come through there like a holy whirlwind and the place is different. I used to uh, I worked in a nursing home when I was in Bible college and I was trying to save up enough money to get out of Springfield when I graduated. And so I took a second job. I worked from 3 to 11 in the nursing home and then I cleaned a bank uh, from 11 till 2 and then went home and took a nap and came back to school. And, uh, but what happened was that I'd had some good training in high school in cleaning and this bank building was about four stories, and uh, uh, it, was a, it was a large building, but I could fly through that, off, that whole building in 20 minutes, spot vacuuming and touching up. But then, twice a month, I would have to spend a full four hours edging every desk, every inch of baseboard, and cleaning all, I didn't do any of the dusting or the trash, just the vacuuming was my job. But I'll tell you what, spending four hours meticulously scraping through that building, you know why? Because I wanted to be able to spend 20 minutes for the next 10 nights instead of four hours. And it worked out, and, and uh, they, they really, really complained when I left. They said, we're working twice the hours, and you're not getting near as clean. You know why? Because there was a little bit of desire put in there. You were, it was purposeful desire. Am I getting that across? You see, you can want something, but until you learn how to get there, 
That's the process. Carefulness. Clearing of yourself. It's building you up to where it's indignation at finding these hidden things that haven't been dealt with. And that doesn't mean that God has called you to investigate everybody else's life. You do well to take care of yourself first. Amen. And then we move on to this fear of the Lord and hating evil and working right. And it gives us this intense desire to be his servants. You know, that, that goes along with the word virtue. Virtue is a powerful purity that changes those it comes in contact with. Jesus could not be made unclean. So when the woman with the issue of blood touched him, she had to be made clean. When Jesus raised his hand and touched the bier on which the dead boy was laying... The dead could not remain dead because then Jesus would be made unclean. Do you see the difference there? And God wants to do something in our lives, and He was doing it here in the Corinthian church. That that purity that was being built in their lives was affecting other people. You see, the next one is zeal. It says, zeal is an intense ardor in the pursuit of some end. Now, what is this pursuit? The pursuit is that godly sorrow is working through my life. And Paul is going to tell us in just a few moments, tell the Corinthians in just a few moments, he said, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. You see, this last word may be a little difficult for some of us. It says, yay, what revenge? You say, well, I didn't think we were supposed to revenge. Uh, vengeance belongs to the Lord, right? But what does the, what does the word revenge mean? It means, uh, Oxford English Dictionary says, a particular act of repaying injuries or wrongs. You know, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? Doctrine. That's what we believe. That's what we believe no matter what. It's, if you die, you die for doctrine. For doctrine, for reproof. That is blame expressed to the faiths. The Bible has the right to tell you when you are wrong. Amen. For correction. Now, what's the last one? Instruction in righteousness. Okay? Here's what God says is right. Here's where I'm wrong. Here's how to make it right. Here's how to keep it right. Uh, revenge. How to keep it right. How to go back and solve the problem that I made. And Paul said, listen, you guys have been clear in every aspect of this work of repentance in your life. It has transformed the Corinthian church from what it was to a whole lot closer to where it ought to be. I mean, Paul had to put the caveat in there. Uh, they were still humans. They were still a problematic church in many ways. 
And he said, I wrote this to you not because I'm trying to get the man that done the wrong. Not because I'm necessarily trying to repay the person that was wrong. But I want you to understand something, Corinthians. We care about you in the sight of God. We care about what's going on because this church, as Paul would say in many different places, he said, you are part of my offering to God. God called me to start this church. And I'm presenting you to God as a work that He has done. And I want you to understand that that is not something we take lightly. That is something that needs every one of these steps involved. You know, we, if you're here tonight and you're saved, and as I look out over our auditorium, I, I know that almost everyone here has given a personal testimony of salvation. You got saved by allowing godly sorrow to bring you to the foot of the cross with your sin, just as it was. But Paul says there's, there's times in our lives where we need to revisit this word repentance where we need to let it do its work to produce that carefulness, that clearing. Let me get the rest of them here. The indignation, the fear, the vehement desire, then the zeal, and finally the revenge. It's one thing to do what's right. It's another thing to enjoy it. Amen? It's another thing to do it with passion. And that's what Zeal was talking about. And to simply repay injuries. Let me tell you, no matter who you sin against and whom you injure on this earth, you have sinned against God on top of that. And there are situations on this earth when we do something wrong to another person, they just decide they're not going to forgive us. You know what? You can't make them forgive you. But let me explain something to you. You go to God and say, I've injured you. God will always make it right. And He'll give you confidence to keep coming back to Him. And to keep serving Him. And to keep loving Him. Because you can't out-love God. And all God's people said, Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You this night. And Lord, as we look at this progression that is contained in Scripture, this list of things that happens in a life, when true biblical repentance does its work, Lord, I just ask that you would take our lives tonight and challenge us with these truths. 
Lord, help us not to try to start in the middle, but to be careful and allow that godly sorrow to move us to repentance, which will take us through each one of these steps. Lord, that when we stand before you, we could hear these words of Paul echoed in our direction. That in all things, you've proved yourselves clear of this matter. Help us, Lord. Work in our lives that we may bring glory to thee. And let's just take a moment. If you'd like to add to those prayers your own, talk to God about some things. The altar is open. And then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.